This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for joining. Great to have you as always. Uh, really appreciate you spending some time with me today. So, some news over the weekend that we'll have to spend some time getting through in this hour. Biggest thing to drop. Drop it like it's hot. Biggest thing, uh, the report from the intelligence community that was briefed to Donald Trump on Friday. Background to assessing Russian activities and intentions in recent U.S. elections, the analytic process, and cyber incident attribution. Woo, man, man, I miss that. Good times. Good times in the IC with their... Background to assessing Russian activities and intentions in recent U.S. elections, the analytic process, and cyber incident attribution. Woo! That's the kind of crazy party I used to rock myself back in the day. Uh, we would just sit there and analyze and analyze and argue and analyze some more, and it was it was some good times. So they released this report. Uh, we can post it up on Facebook so you can check it out yourself, but... This is more or less what we thought it would be. I don't think there's a lot of new stuff in here. I don't think there's anything that will really surprise too many folks. You have the, the intelligence community represented here by the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA all agreeing with the key judgments that are the following. I can actually read you the key judgments. I won't even paraphrase. I'll do one better. I'll get right into it. Russian efforts to influence the 2016 U.S. presidential election represent the most serious uh, or most recent expression of Moscow's longstanding desire to undermine the U.S.-led liberal democratic order. But these activities demonstrated a significant escalation in directness, level of activity and scope of effort compared to previous operations. We assess Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the U.S. presidential election. Russia's goals were to undermine public faith in the U.S. democratic process, denigrate Secretary Clinton and harm her electability and potential presidency. We further assess Putin and the Russian government developed a clear preference for President-elect Trump. We have high confidence in these judgments. So you've got. CIA, NSA, FBI coming out now. Now, this is official, right? I should point out this is very different than the leaks and the rumor mill stuff that we were handling before. This is the official report. This, this is the unclassified key judgments, key judgments section. Uh, and looking into this a bit, what you see, 
is that they've not added in any of these sources and methods. So we don't know how they know this stuff, although we can take some educated guesses. But we know that now they're saying it. This isn't a leak to the Washington Post. This isn't a newspaper quoting unnamed sources that may or may not reflect a consensus view inside the broader IC. This is a real deal. This is something that they have now released and is out there and we will have to uh, deal with, and we're doing that right now. So you got the IC saying that Trump or that Russia did intervene, uh, intervene, intervene, interfere. Interfene is actually, maybe we've just created a word team. Don't, don't interfene in my affairs. Uh, the intervention that the Russians had here was specifically intended to help Donald Trump. That's what they're saying. Although, and this will receive much less attention as we go here, it is also pointed out in the report that the initial hacking occurred in uh, July of 2015 when nobody really thought that Donald Trump was a serious factor in this. So this wasn't some big operation from start to finish to get Trump elected. That is not true. It seems that if you want to take the intelligence community's reporting as true, and I will tell you that I do think that this is what they honestly believe, and it is based on real information. I don't think there's a massive conspiracy inside the IC. There are people who are trying to undermine Trump. That's where the leaks came from. But I don't buy that there's a massive conspiracy and that there are people inside the FBI right now who are sort of wandering the hallways, muttering to themselves about how this was all a fix and this is all a lie. I, I, I don't buy that. Again, I don't know because I'm not inside anymore. And if I did know, I wouldn't be able to talk to you about it because that's the way the rules work. But here we are. Uh, so this Russian cyber attack started in July of 2015, and they kept it going for quite a while. They had a lot of access into the DNC computers should be noted that the election that really was thrown by insiders and dirty tricks was the primary between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. I think I think you could make a much stronger case that there was foul play at work there than there was in the Trump versus Hillary face off, because I, I don't I'm not somebody who takes it in any way as as a, well, it's not provable, but I also find it not really feasible that the Russian hacks were able to just sort of undermine everything else that was going on. Uh, I, I don't believe that Russia was able to get access into these systems, and that once Russia had access, it was able to, from there, uh, tr turn around the election result. Now, of course, Democrats will argue this till they're blue in the face. These are really two separate arguments, but of course, people want to have them at the same time. Right? There's, did Russia engage in a continuous cyber campaign to discredit our electoral process to make us look like hypocrites to meddle in our affairs because we have meddled. we have meddled in their affairs by the way if you start looking into ngos and the work that's done abroad and democracy whether you think it's good or not it is it is meddling uh, but they wanted to meddle back in our affairs or meddle in our affairs and they did that and they seem to have had a real preference for Trump. And that now is putting an interesting spin on things for the administration because they're supposed to retaliate or 
come up with some means of stopping this in the future, which, by the way, I think that's where all this really quickly falls apart. What are we going to do in the future? What, what are we really going to do? Uh, we're going to cut off Internet access from certain countries. We're going to try to firewall the U.S. Internet the way China does and prevent foreign actors from even if we tried that, they'd find ways around. it. It's just not possible. I've been very troubled to hear how many people think it's a profound statement to put out there. Oh, well, we need to we need to work on our cyber defenses. OK, how? What does that mean? We're constantly working on cyber defenses and those institutions and those agencies that are tasked with the defense of U.S. cyber infrastructure. Uh, they now have cyber command of the military. I mean, this is they're taking this stuff quite seriously. But if we're talking about unclassified networks that are hacked via a phishing scam, that's been going on for as long as there's been an Internet. That's not really going to change. This is like saying, oh, well, we just we just need to get rid of credit card fraud. Yeah, you can fight it and you can try to do some things. But until we have, I guess, biometrics and stuff, maybe there is a future where the technology will get rid of it entirely. But in the meantime, yeah, you deal with it and you try to eliminate it to the degree you can and punish it to the degree you can. But let's understand that if we're trying to prevent what happened in this election, you're talking about perfect cybersecurity. It's never going to be there. It's just not, it's, again, not possible. But I digress. There's a discussion about cybersecurity and there's the discussion about the election. I, I do say that it's a little bit... Uh, Mm, disconcerting to watch some members of the Trump team both sort of want to have it both ways. Uh, there's some members of the Trump team that seem to both want to discredit the intelligence community, then say that, yeah, well, I guess they believe it, and then say that, well, it didn't affect the election. Just say that, which I now believe they are going to, and, and Trump has somewhat uh, given in on this. Sure, Russia did something. Uh, didn't change the election. We'll make sure that we keep an eye on this in the future. I, I think it plays into the other side, uh, to the anti-Trump. And remember, there there is a whole wing now of the Democrat Party that doesn't even, it's not that they just want to block Trump's actions and such. They view him as illegitimate, and they would love to find any pretense, any excuse to remove him from office at the first possible opportunity there's a tremendous amount isn't it fascinating to watch the media when they really want to do due diligence on someone when the new york times wants to dig into the details they're actually really good at it didn't do it didn't do it with barack obama and didn't do it for hillary clinton of course uh, i read a profile of jared kushner that the new york i think it was the times of the post can't remember they blend together in my head over the weekend and they're talking about sit-down meetings he had with Chinese businessmen and first-person uh, you know, first accounts of what was said. And, wow, they're really going out. And they've got maps with all of his real estate holdings. I learned more about Jared Kushner in 15 minutes or so of reading this piece in the, uh, let's say it's the Times, than I saw from the Times in the entirety of the election between Hillary and Trump. So they can do a lot of digging. They do have that skill set. I have to give them that credit, I suppose. They do have that capability. They are able to um, 
go deep and do a real thorough vetting of somebody, but they, of course, are very political in when and how they do this. But they're creating right now, I think, a dossier that will be used later on to try and they want to impeach this president. That's what they want to do. Before he's done it, before he's even president, they're looking to find ways to justify that. And while I don't see a lot of people calling for a redo of the election, which is mostly because I think there's just no mechanism for it, right? There's nothing that we could say, oh, well, Article Article 2, Section, you know, or Clause 3, Article 2, Section 7, whatever. There's nothing in place to allow for a redo of the election. So what do they do? They create a narrative, a narrative that they will strengthen over time and that they believe will enhance the position of those who never plan on treating this president like an actual president. The plan is going to be that from day one, they will undermine. From day one, they will be building a case to get rid of him. Um, so the IC's report that's come out now, I don't, I don't view it as having any bombshell revelations. There's some interesting stuff in the appendix about Russia Today, although it's out of date. Their Russia Today information that was released is years old, and so therefore there's some inaccuracies in it. Intelligence community has all of these people working on stuff, and they still get stuff wrong that you can tell is wrong if you look up Wikipedia for a second. That's not surprising to me. There's way too many cooks in the intelligence community kitchen. I'm, I'm seeing, by the way, the Trump administration is planning to shrink down the NSC from four or 500 people, something like that, to 150 National Security Council. It's probably a very good idea. There are so many government employees that have overlapping responsibilities, especially on the analytics side, that it just turns into uh, a, a cacophony of competing analyses. There's way too much stuff going on. And ultimately, you've only got a few decision makers, and they are inundated with all this stuff all the time. And whether it's the NSA or the Department, uh, National Security Advisor, I mean, or the SecDef or the president himself, only so many different versions of the same analysis they're going to read, and ultimately they're going to make a decision. Well, I don't know how Trump's going to make his decisions, but they'll make a decision based upon whichever they find the most compelling. Uh, tied into the politics as well at the moment. I'll talk a bit more about Russia today. and we got a lot more to go into here, team. 888-900-3393 on the phone lines. Team Buck, I will be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. The Buck Sexton Show. 888-900-3393 team. Phone lines are open. Would love to chat with you. Let's do it. Uh, Light up those lines. It's been a couple of days. Um, I had a weekend of pretty much hibernation. Uh, It was very, very cold and snowy here in New York City. 
as I know it was in other places across the country. But I'm excited to talk to all of you, so let's get into it. Uh, also, on Friday, I mentioned it at the time. I did not get into too much detail because we didn't have much in the way of, of details. Um, but there, that shooting at Fort Lauderdale Airport involved a veteran uh, named Esteban Santiago. He, kill, he could face the death penalty now. He killed five people at the uh, Florida airport on Friday, shot a, a bunch more than that. And he had told, this is one of these things where you, you read the facts, you go, another one of these, another one of these lunatics. He had, he had told the FBI that he was hearing voices. He went to an FBI office in Anchorage and said that he thought that U.S. spies were controlling his mind. So you may have a pretty good uh, insanity defense for this guy here. I, I don't know. That, that, I know that's a very high hurdle. The uh, insanity defense is a, is a particularly uh, difficult one to pull off in a court, but this guy does seem like he was uh, nuts. And six other people had gunshot wounds from the attack, and three dozen suffered injuries from the chaos as... Passengers and people working at the airport were running all over the place. There's video of this as well. Santiago uh, arrived from a connecting flight from Alaska. He pulled a 9mm handgun from his checked luggage. I think it was the only thing that he had checked. And he went and loaded in the bathroom, and he came out. And in a very almost chilling, really a chillingly nonchalant manner, uh, just started shooting people. Just started shooting people. Uh, and FBI agents were told that he thought that his mind, this is back in November, that his mind was being controlled by a U.S. intelligence agency. They took his gun, uh, but, oh, well, you have a, because a medical evaluation found that he was not mentally ill. Huh. That is, that is troubling. If somebody who walks into an FBI office and says, that spies are controlling my brain is not mentally ill. It seems to me very unlikely that you're going to get a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of use out of the process that's in place to take away firearms from people who are criminally insane or a danger to themselves uh, or others. Seems to me that if you can't get this guy's gun out of his hands, and I know this becomes very sensitive, right? Because then you also have the left that'll want to take guns out of the hands of anybody who's ever suffered from PTSD and anybody who's ever been depressed, you know, which anybody who's ever been in a bad relationship and been sad afterwards and, you know, sought counseling for it. I mean, they're going to try to take guns away from everybody just because they want to take guns away. But if you walk into the FBI's office in Anchorage, you say that you think that the, you know, the CIA or something is controlling your brain. And I think he also told them from early reports I read that he wanted to join ISIS uh, you would think that this is, if we can't stop this guy who, who's a crazy wannabe jihadist, who can we stop? Uh, only people that make tactical mistakes in the actual terror attack, you know, somebody who, you know, their gun jams or they do something dumb in the moments leading up to it, or we, we have to catch them in the actual preparation for the act. This is becoming far too commonplace. Uh, we see this happening time and again where, whether it's in Europe or here in America, 
those who are already on the radar of intelligence services or law enforcement, in this case with the FBI, nothing happens and their hands are tied. And I'm not saying there's an easy solution because some people are going to just yell about how this is, I mean, this is clearly bad, right? We can all understand that. But I don't know what the answer is, because if you give more sweeping authority to take guns away from people for mental health issues, be prepared for that to be abused by the left. But then again, with this guy, you can't get a gun out of this guy's hand. Who can you take guns from? Says he wants to join ISIS and that the CIA is controlling his brain. And that's clear. But then he he managed to beat a mental health evaluation or come off as though he wasn't crazy. So I'd be very curious to see what those notes were. Uh, anyway, team 888-900-3393. Uh, we're going to have spy time come up here in a few minutes. Join me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. 888-900-3393. Phone lines are uh, are open. Let me know when we get our friend John. Will you, Shamont, just uh, tell me in my ear here and we can get it going from there. Uh, oh, we got him. Nope, we don't got him. All right. Well, if we got him, let me know and we'll get into some spy time here. Uh, another, an, another bit of terrible national security news from over the weekend. Uh, a number of four Israeli soldiers, I believe there were four soldiers, were killed in a vehicle a vehicle attack um, over the week, a terrorist attack. It is pretty fascinating to see the way the media covers any terrorism or stuff involving uh, Israel and Palestinians versus the way other terrorist attacks are covered. It's pretty mind, mind-numbing stuff. I mean, not mind-numbing, that's not the right word. Enraging is a better word. There we go. Uh, you see that they, they'll say vehicle slams into. There's no actor in many of the meaning. I don't mean actor like Meryl Streep. We'll talk about her, her later. But there's no person who is, in fact, the one responsible for the act in many of these instances. There is just uh, a vehicle that runs over and murders four soldiers. There's video of that, too. This is one of the things that makes terrorism, unfortunately, in some ways even more potent in the current context is that there's so many ways for the bad guys to disseminate propaganda using the acts themselves. But also you will see more of it, too, from security camera footage and from the various news services that will pick them up. So everyone will get a chance, for example, to see the Fort Lauderdale uh, terrorist. And this debate, by the way, that happens, interesting the way that these always now turn into a back and forth. You'd think that somebody shoots a bunch of innocent people, and I believe specifically targeted the elderly, in a in an airport. There should just be constructive discussion over how quickly we march this guy off into prison for the rest of his life, or they may actually give him the death penalty, and what can we do to stop this in the future? Of course, in the social media obsessed world we're in, everyone wants to sort of turn this into a version of either the gun control argument or the mental health versus terrorism argument. It's possible to be a jihadist and a terrorist at this. I mean, a jihadist and unstable or crazy at the same time. Right? Crazy is a spectrum. 
people deal with all kinds of mental issues over the course of their life, and mental health, mental health is, a, is a true health issue. And by no means by, am I trying to make uh, light of the struggles that anybody would have on that front by saying it's a spectrum, but it, it is a spectrum. There's a sort of a long continuum of degrees of detachment from reality. Somebody can have a struggle, certain mental health struggles, but be fully functioning and very, uh, you know, contribute contribute fully to society and be good parents and be good, you know, husband, wife. What? And you go further down a continuum, and it becomes more difficult. So there's not. That's why I think people want to force it into these very neat categorizations of, well, the Florida shooter. I believe his name is right, Santiago. Santiago is uh, crazy and therefore can't be a terrorist. Well, no, you you can be a bit, and I know crazy is an imprecise term, but you can be a bit crazy and still very much be a terrorist. I would think that we could agree in the case of ISIS, for example, a majority of the um, individuals who would be who would join a group that posts videos of beheadings and mutilations and torture and and is proud of them and, and brags about them, that a lot of the people that go and join that group are, are on in some way or another mentally uh, have have issues. That's the, the broadest way, I guess, of putting it and perhaps far too gentle a way. But they are sadists. And in many cases, they are psychotic. Uh, but. There's not it's not an either or situation necessarily, but for political reasons, because people want to make it about mental health and not about jihad or belonging to the Islamic State or doing it in the name of the Islamic State. They'll talk about that or they'll make it about mental health and guns. So that becomes politicized. And of course, the is the attack in Israel also gets politicized very quickly Four soldiers uh, run over. And I think they're still trying to I don't know if they've caught yet the. Um, the driver of the truck of it has immediate it brings to mind oh netanyahu now saying that the suspect may have supported isis so uh two soldiers and a tour guide who is a colonel in the reserve shot and killed the attack okay so they definitely got him killed the attack suspect whom they identified as 28 year old fadi uh, kunbar police have also arrested nine other suspects including five of kunbar's family members see in the context of uh, Palace, uh, the Palestinians and the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, unfortunately, and tragically, and says a lot about what's going on over there, terror is often a family business. They will tell you this when you go and say people who have done interviews, for example, with the mothers of suicide bombers, and they are so proud of their suicide bomber son, who is dead now because they blew up a bunch of people in a disco or in a market or wherever at a checkpoint proud of them think that this was great they're martyrs a culture that celebrates the death of uh that, that, that convinces parents to celebrate the deaths of their children in the act of murdering other people's children innocent children has something deeply wrong with it and this is why even though there are obviously imperfections with the israeli state uh, they don't do everything right. The settlements are are a problem for some people and different depending on which settlement we're we talking about an outpost or East Jerusalem. But there are complications. Right, This is a complex issue. But you don't have the Israeli government 
handing out candy to children after there's an airstrike where innocents are killed, for example, in Gaza. You do have that in with Hamas and in, in Gaza. You do have that. You have children getting candy because people were killed in Israel. Um, killing, they killed four and injured ten with this truck driver. I mean, these truck attacks now are going to be... Oh, and Hamas has openly praised the driver. Quote, we bless the courageous and heroic truck operation in Jerusalem. And they... One of the things that's so enraging, I think, for many people that follow Israeli-Palestinian issues is that in the UN resolution that passed recently, they talk about the condemnation of terror. There's no... Hamas doesn't condemn terror. Hamas loves terror. It's a terrorist organization. So the Israelis are supposed to negotiate with them? I mean, at what point do we start to say, well, I guess we have to negotiate with ISIS too? Why should the Israelis have to negotiate with Hamas? This is what the international community thinks. Um, but this this attack won't get as much attention. And the way that it's discussed and described, I even saw uh, it will be different than the way other truck attacks, uh, truck terror attacks um, have been written about and talked about in the media. I saw uh, Glenn Greenwald, my old buddy from MSNBC way back in the day, uh, saying that this you, you can't do the campaigns to boycott Israel. You can't do these attacks against Israeli soldiers, you know, what can you do? There's no such thing as terrorism when it comes to resisting occupation. These people don't seem to understand. It doesn't matter what the international community says or doesn't say about these things. The realities on the ground are different than what much of the world seems to think they are. And until you have someone on the other side of the table who's going to stop trying to kill you, you don't really care who owned the land before. I think you can... You can take this very complicated issue and make it much more straightforward. Um, but the, the press, there are so many who view, I mean, the Palestinians are a favored subject in the media because of their very heightened victim status in the minds of the Muslim world. So Muslims are, to the left media in this country, inherently victims. And the greatest victims from within the victimized Muslim world are the Palestinians. So it's just... It's just always time. We talk about the Palestinians for people who have never even been there and know nothing about the situation and don't even remember what the Second Intifada when you had members of or, you know, terrorists from Hamas and other groups walking into crowded places with suicide vests on and killing as many people as possible and then saying, well, you know, we, we need to negotiate over land now. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. But, yeah, a number of national security incidents of note over the weekend, uh, tragic ones. And once again, I'm just struck by the, the one commonality with many of these incidents is an adherence to one ideology and one faith tradition. I'm just saying. I will be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. All right, we got John Schindler with us. It's spy time. Go. Agent, you are joining a clandestine meeting in progress. You will now be read into sensitive programs in real time. Do not communicate this information with any other assets in the field. This is spy time. 
John Schindler, national security writer for the New York, for the Observer, Observer.com, for his latest at 20 committee on Twitter. John, we're going to have to do kind of Schindler hot takes for uh, the spy time Talking here on a fast, few different buddy. issues. First, first the, I, the IC report. It's blazing hot. What do you got? Yeah, um, look, I, I wasn't really happy with it in the sense that I felt like the intelligence community, given the extraordinary importance of this issue, uh, should have probably gone a little further with revealing a bit about sources and methods. Um, I certainly agree with their conclusions that the Russian intelligence services meddled with our election, stole emails, sent them to WikiLeaks to distribute to the world. Um, I've been sent out a long time. It's nice to see our uh, former colleagues in the intelligence community violently agreeing with me. Um, and I certainly understand the need to protect sources and methods at all times. However, um, I think the public was owed a little bit more detail about how the IC came to these, frankly, very strong conclusions. They are sticking to their guns at the highest levels. They absolutely believe this. Why is that? So in that sense, I think it was a bit of a disappointment, uh, although there is going to be more testimony from Mr. Clapper, the director of national intelligence, for another couple of weeks yet uh, to Congress this week. So maybe that will shed some light. I don't know. Um, and as for those who are saying that they believe Julian Assange or that this that Russia didn't get involved or whatever, is that is that now where do you put that on the scale of like believability? I mean, you're allowed to believe in unicorns if you want. It's a free country. That's fine. We're just all going to make fun of you and not take you seriously. Uh, look, you know, Julian Assange is a, is a cutout for the Russians. He has been for years. I've been saying this for years. The U.S. government now officially agrees with me, so you know I, that that feels nice. Uh, but it's pretty obvious. I mean, the, the, it's not like Assange is really hiding this affiliation. He's denying it in interviews, of course. Although even there, his his language is really, as we discussed last time, or his language is really hedging, and he leaves open the possibility that he says it's not the Russian state. Well, of course not. They're using intermediaries to, to deal with him. So I, I think anyone who takes Assange seriously at this point is not a serious person, and unfortunately. Uh, that may include the president, president to be president to be of the United States. It's not clear. Team Trump has been dancing around this issue on all sides ever since the report hit the street. Uh, you know, close of business Friday, in effect. So, what Trump just made a comment to NBC a few minutes ago that they're going to have more to say about Russian hacking on Wednesday. He was asked point blank, "Do you trust? Uh, who do you trust more, Assange, Julian Assange, or the National Security Agency?" And he wouldn't answer the question, which doesn't bode well, I, I think. I, I would tend to agree. That does not bode well for what he's going to say. Uh, but one more for you here, John. The Fort Lauderdale shooting, this guy, he went to the FBI, said he's hearing voices. They took his gun, gave it back to him. What's your takeaway from all this? Look, this looks awful. It absolutely looks awful. Even if the FBI was following procedure, there's no way to make this look nice. This was a a, a guy with a history of some domestic violence. He had been investigated uh, for child pornography a few years ago, though not charged, let's make that clear. Um, he had been more or less dishonorably discharged from the National Guard. There are a lot of red flags. And he shows up at the FBI field office, and he's obviously a crazy person. Look, this is, this is the problem where you know people, crazy people have rights too, and that's not a good answer when five people are dead and a whole bunch more are injured. None of this should have happened. I wish more had been done. But look, the reality is the United States back in the 1960s and 70s decided that the mentally ill belong on the streets, not in institutions. Uh, and this guy clearly was pretty far gone. 
But, you know, this he is beat a mental health treatment. test, though, John. What does that I say? Know. I mean, if this I guy, what, what does that tell you? What were they asking him? I'd love to know. I mean, this is a guy who was, you know, hearing voices. You know, the CIA wants me to join ISIS and this kind of crazy stuff. And these people exist, but when they own guns and they're clearly going off the rails, I wish there were more we could do. The FBI looks bad here. They're obviously going to investigate what really happened here and what, where exactly the system broke down. But, you know, in my time in the intelligence community, sometimes you deal with crazy people, and it's hard to know who's going to be violent and who's not going to be violent, unfortunately. There's not really a counterterrorism takeaway with this, is there? I mean, this is I, I, I'd no, like to be honest with people not about really. that. Really, I mean, if he he maybe belonged to ISIS in his own crazed mind, who knows? And I would bet my bottom dollar there's nothing to really do with ISIS here. And in an era where ISIS is the brand to attract the violent, crazy people, there are people who will identify themselves in a sort of a, a virtual sense that really have no connection to them. This is just a crazy person of a kind who does. You know, spree killings, unfortunately. I sure wish he hadn't had that gun. Uh, I can't fault the police at Fort Lauderdale Airport. They were on scene in about a minute, which was a, a minute too late to save lives, although they undoubtedly saved a lot more. So, uh, you know, it's easy to beat up on the FBI here, and they deserve that a little bit. But what are we saying here? Do we want to lock up everyone who, who seems crazy? Is that really where we want to go as a country? I don't know. Maybe it is. We used to do that, and we decided that was inhumane. What do you do now? I, I don't know. I don't, it's not. This is not a big counterterrorism case, as far as I'm concerned. This is a very, very sad, violent incident that maybe could have been prevented and wasn't. John, what's your latest, either on Observer.com or coming up soon? I'm going to have some stuff on Trump and the Russians. I think it's pretty clear that the IC report from released last Friday left some big gaps, including. The question, why does Donald Trump at every opportunity sort of act like Putin's lawyer and go to bat for him in a way that's not normal? It should strike most Americans, I think, as kind of odd, given that Putin isn't exactly our, our friend. This isn't a country. This isn't Britain, Canada, Israel, you know, Japan, a close U.S. ally. This is Russia, yeah. which has several right. weapons pointed at us. John, but, we'll have you back again soon. Thank you, sir. Observer.com for John's latest team. We'll be right back. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.